Hello. Wow. Shalom Nikulam. We have a very intense parak here. Very, very intense. And uh, very long, extremely long. So we're going to get started right away. Okay. So this is Paragil of Lachim. I'm sorry, Shmuel Bet. I'm going to start the screen share and get right into it. Oh, I do want to mention that um, having in mind the schut for um, my friend Sally's father, Adam Abba Ben Shlomo, many years, and Shama uh, should have an aliyah, and we should hear good things. Okay, so we're going to go to the screen share. So again, we'll start here. Um, okay, you could see here that this is a very long parak, 39 psukim. It's really, really long, and we're going to have to talk fast. A lot of inanim here. You can see that there's two separate parts. The first part is the discussion of um, David kind of consolidating his kingship in Hebron. As we saw last time that David had become king in Hebron. And then we see um, a very, very long narrative. It's not broken up in this section, but really we should break it up into a few, uh, few bits, okay? So the first part is there's going to be a fallout between Ishboshet and Avner. Now Ishboshet is the king, the son of Shaul, and he has been put into place by Avner and um, made king by Avner. We did speak last time that Avner, um, if we want to give him the best possible kapsachut, uh, the Chazal say that he understood that there should be two, at least two kings of Malchut Beit, uh, Beit Shaul from Binyamin because of the um, the promise to Yaakov Avinu, Mlachim that there should be kings from your loins and the only one who is not yet born is Binyamin so that there should be at least two kings from Binyamin. So if we're going to give Avner that, that is why he supported the kingship of Ishbosheth. But now at the beginning of this section here, we see that there's a fallout with Ishbosheth and Avner turns his allegiance to David. David says, I'll make a deal with you, but I need to get my wife Michal back. We'll talk about this. And, and then we have this whole section where um, Avner comes to David, they make an agreement, he gets Michal back. And at the end of this chapter, we have the very unfortunate, um, tragic incident where Yoav, um, getting very angry that Avner has been um, received by David and he takes action against him and David's uh, David is forced to deal with that kind of fallout. So without further ado, we'll take a look over here from the beginning. Sorry. 
Pasuk Aleph. And don't forget, we ended with a very sad note that the the two groups, the 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 guys from uh, Ishboshet's camp, the Bnei Benyamin, under the command of Abner, and the soldiers of David, under the command of Yoav, have met across the pool and give own. And what started out as a let's sort of, you know, have a wrestling match ends up the beginning of a civil war. And uh, 20 people die, 19 plus Asael on Yoav's side and 360 on Abner's side. And there seems to be an outright civil war going on. So Pasuk Aleph. But to hear Melchamar Ukah, Ben Beit Shaul, Ben Beit David, Ben David Holech Chazek, Ubeit Shaul, Hofi Medalim. So Pasuk Aleph sort of puts you right into the, the uh, dynamics of this chapter. There was a long conflict between the house of Shaul and the house of David, and David is getting stronger and stronger, and the house of Shaul is getting weaker and smaller. So um, the Malvim says here, right, that there was this long war, a war. This is the Malvim's opinion, right? Many, many people of Israel left Ishbosheth and went over to David's side. <coughs> and that's why it really only says that Ishbosheth ruled for two years. Because the following five years, when David was king of Hebron, there were seven years that he was king of Hebron. The first two years, Ishbosheth was a king. But his support for Ishbosheth went. You know, more and more got more and more weak. So eventually, um, he wasn't really a king anymore. And now we see a, a small a small section, right? Bet Gimel Dalit Hay. We're talking about David's family growing. David now has uh, acquired many wives, and he has sons. Pasifet. By David Banim David had sons in Hebron. His wife, Achinoam, bears him a son called Amnon. And um, we're going to see that David has six sons in Hebron. And this is interesting. You know, um, uh, Rabbi Eitzchalom points out that, he, that David has everything twice, twice as much as <coughs> Shaul will see that Shaul has three sons. Ishbosheth isn't even counted. And David has six sons in Hebron. And the second son, Mishneu Kilav La Abigail Eshet Naval Hakarmeli, Bashushi Absalom Ben Macha Batalma Melkashur. So we'll take a minute to talk about these uh, these two uh, sons. First of all, Kilav in Divrei Yamim, he's called Daniel, right? Ela Yubnei David Shenalad Lebchevron Bchor Amnon Lachinam Israeli Sheni Daniel Abigail Hakarmeli. First of all, it's interesting that. She's called in Divrayavim HaKarmelit of Carmel. And in our passage, she's called the wife of Nabal of Carmel. So uh, why is he given two names, this uh, young man? And there's a very uh, beautiful midrash here. Uh, it's just the midrash. Let me see. Uh, yeah. Right. 
Avraham alluded to Yitzchak, and bring this a very similar statement, right? When um, we have the whole story of Naval and how David um, helped Nabal's, this is this is Perak Chavhei in Shmuel Aleph. Naval has is a rich man in Carmel, and he has his sheep shearing. And um, David and his men help the shepherds, but Naval refuses to acknowledge this and help them out. And David's very angry, wants to kill him. And his wife hears about it. Naval's a rotten person. And she comes running and tells David, he's not worth your uh, sin. You could, you could be punished for sinning with him and just not worth it. And uh, she saves him from the sin. And afterwards, Naval dies. God strikes him. He basically says, God will take care of him. And when uh, uh, he dies, David marries Abigail. And of course, she's pregnant by Naval. Right. And it says his name is Kilab. <laughs> his name wasn't Kilab, his name was Daniel. But Kilab is Kol Kulo Ab. So according to this Medrash, this uh when people would say that Abigail's son is actually Naval's son, not David's, but the boy was born who exactly looked like David. And uh, the same Medrash that we have about Yitzchak that the scoffers of the generation said, no, Yitzhak is really Abimelech's son, and uh, Yitzhak also looked exactly like Abraham. Beautiful medrash. Uh, I should point out to you a very interesting thing that the Chazal say that um, Kilab was one of the four people who never sinned, and uh, the other three are Benjamin, Amram, and Yishai, and Kilab. And it's interesting that these four never sin, they themselves are very close to great people who really are, you know, shaping Jewish destiny. So um, Binyamin is close to Yosef, his full brother, and Amram is the father of Moshe. Yisha is the father of David, and Kilav is very close to Shlomo. So it's interesting that each one of them is connected to someone who does a lot of you know, uh, very important in Jewish history, but they themselves are a little bit out of it. These people were totally righteous. And it's very interesting, you know, we should think about that, but, you know, it's unusual to find someone who never sins. That's why we say there's only four people like that. <coughs> Which brings us to Avshalom ben Machavatam and Melkashur. And we'll find it. We'll, we'll hear a lot more about Amnon and Avshalom, and later on the fourth son in Pasuk Dalet, Adoniel ben Hagit. Um, Avshalom is the son of Maha, who is the, the daughter of the king of Geshur. So we see that David is kind of making alliances. The king of Geshur is not a Jew, and David is making alliances. And the Chazal say that Maha was a Fatoa, she was a beautiful, captive woman. And um, the connection in Devarim between these two stories, right? In Parshas Kitaitse, right? Right? 
when you go out to war and you see this beautiful woman, you can marry her under these conditions. And the next story is if you have two wives and one you love and one you don't love so much, and you cannot make the son of the one you don't love uh, uh, preferred over the one, I mean, you can't make the son of the one you love preferred over the one you don't love. And, um, and the next topic is the, the rebellious son. So Chazal say, if you take this captive woman, you're going to end up with a rebellious son. And unfortunately, that actually comes true. We'll see about that later in the Seder. Okay, the fifth is Shvatya ben Abital, and uh, the sixth is Yitra ben Eglah, the wife of David, Eliyahu David of Hebron. Now, Eglah, the wife of David, is, is understood by Chazal. You see, Rashi says, Zomichal, Shaitach Habibala, who was beloved to him. V'chenu Omer, Lulecha Rashta Beglati, so in Shoftim, I don't think I opened that for you, but trust me on this one. We learned about it. Shimshon, when he makes his riddle, right? Um, the back and say for Shoftim, Shimshon tells his wife, who is this Timna woman, a Plishti woman, and she tells them because they pressure her. And he recognizes that the only way they know the riddle is because of her. So he says, if you had not plowed with my calf, you wouldn't know my secret. So he calls his wife his calf. Now, David's wife uh, also seems to be called a calf and reminds me of <laughs> a thing I read once and it went something like this. You may call a woman a kitten, but you can never call her a cat. Um, you can call a woman a calf, but you could never call her a cow. It was like a whole bunch of things like this. I always think about this. It's not a term of endearment that we would probably use today, but you have to remember it again that that was agricultural times. So if David calls her his egla, you understand. It's also very significant that he that she is called a shetavid. She is called the wife of David. Now there are other theories about this. I'm not going to go into them because this is the general understanding of Hazal as Rashi brings it that Egla is indeed Michal, and she bears him a son uh, called Yisrael. Later on, we find out that, that Michal doesn't have children, and the Chazal say, when there was this conflict with David in chapter 6, which we didn't get to, before that conflict, she did have children. <coughs> okay, so David is having children, and his, his uh, leadership is becoming greater, and now we move on to um, the conflict between um, Avner and Ishboshet. Pasuk There was a war between the house of Shaul and the house of David, and Avner was stro getting stronger in the house of Shaul. Now, Mitchazek is a hit bail. He was strengthening himself, and Avner is extremely central to Ishboshet. Now, Ishboshet's name is not even um listed in the sons of Shaul. He's not a warrior. He's not like a big guy. And okay, he's sort of here a puppet. Avner is running, I'm sorry, that was, I was talking about Ishboshet. Ishboshet is a puppet king and Avner is the power behind the throne. And now Ishboshet makes a critical, critical mistake. Plus Zion. Okay. Shaul had a concubine whose name was Ritzpa Bat Aya. Ritzpa was shown a coal, like a certain kind of a, um, fire, 
And she actually, we find out later, she's a very, very heroic woman. And um, she's a son of, uh, she's a daughter of someone named Aya. <coughs> and it says here, notice that it says, the Pesach Zion, Vayomer el Avner, Madua Bata el Pilegeshavi. And he said to Avner, why did you have relations with my father's concubine? So this requires a little bit of explanation, okay? The wife of a king that includes a concubine can never marry someone who's not a king. In other words, the only person who could marry Shaul's widow, wife or concubine, whichever, is another king. So for Abner to have relations with Ritzba would be sort of a rebellion. And um, <coughs> we have a little difficulty here because what's going on? First of all, if you notice this Pasuk, Pasuk Zion, Vayomer Abner, Madua Basel Pilegesh Vayomer. Who said that? Now, because it says Avi, we know that it must be Shoshe. <coughs> In fact, the Mitsuda says, Satan below perish miha omer. It doesn't tell you who said it. And you understand that it's Ishbosha because he says, Avi, right? And here you have this accusation. Now, of course, it tells you in Pesachet that these are the words of Ishbosha. Excuse me a second. So we see that it is Ishbosheh who speaks to him, and his name is taken out. He's almost insignificant. What could we conclude from that? And Avner is furious. Am I a, a head of the dog that's to Yehuda? Is it today that I started doing chesed for your family? I've been doing chesed for your family forever. I didn't give you over thousands of You are um, uh, remembering the sin of this woman today? He is so angry. So Rashi says, you're treating me like a dog watcher. Right? And as if I, I belong to Yehuda. The other Mepharshim go into lots of explanations. Of what does it mean? I'm Rosh Kelevanopi. Am I ahead of dogs? And, and the Malbim, you know, Malbim likes to break things up into component parts. He said, you know, a king has to have respect for his servants. A, because they serve him. And B, because they're loyal. And you are treating me like I'm from Yehuda. Like I'm not part of your thing, and you're treating me like I, I never helped you. And look what I've done for you. And Avner was just justifiably angry because, really, he Ishbosheth uh, is nothing without Avner. Okay. Um, you can't do anything without him. <coughs> if you look here at the Malbin, he says. 
מסכס בבית שאול, שראותי, you should, איך היום, you says היום twice, until today, I've been doing so much for you guys, right? And today you're remembering this and um, the Malvim understands this as a threat, right? You should be afraid of me. I'm in charge here. You're a fool. And the truth is that Ishboshim is a fool. This is, he is a fool. This is not something that you should have brought up here, he says. Um, uh, okay. Well, he says here, right, this was something, a complaint, right? You should have kept this to yourself for another time. This is not the time to treat me like this. I mean, this is really stupid. And Ishboshet um, has made a critical error here because the man who's propping up your throne, the man who is giving you all the support, the man who's in charge of your army, and you're not a warrior and you can't do any of this stuff, this is not the man to antagonize. Now, it's very interesting Avner does not deny the charge. Avner doesn't say, what do you mean? Of course I did it. We don't really know if he did this. He, he you know, evades the issue. But he says, like, how dare you do this? Now, uh, how could he actually do this? This is against halacha. So um, Rabbi Yaakov and Emes Yaakov suggests that what he's thinking is that the Malchus of Beit Shol is gone already. It doesn't have a din of Malchus. And therefore, Shol's wife is no longer, you know, a um, in the in the gather of forbidden to someone who's not a king. It's also possible to think that Abner really thinks he is the king because he's the king maker. So he doesn't think it's a problem. But he hasn't actually denied it. On the other hand, for Yaakov is saying, Adoniyahu says the same thing when, uh, you know, later on in, in the, at the beginning of Blachim, Adoniyahu wants Abishag, but he also thinks that that's, you know, David is gone and this is not a thing anymore, whatever. It's an interesting, because uh, Adoniyahu thinks he should have been king. But here we have a situation where Ishboshin has made the mistake of his life. And Avner tells him straight up, Pasiktet, and he takes this oath with the and which is a, a biblical form of thus and thus should God do, and thus more should God do to me. Because what God promised David, I'm gonna do that for him. I'm going to make David king like God promised him. There's a lot of interesting stuff here. First of all, it seems clear that Avner knows that David's supposed to be king, which calls into question a lot of what Avner has done up until now. To prop up Ishbosheth, to prevent, uh, you know, any kind of uh, leadership for David. If you know that this is what God wants, then what are you doing? That's question one. Question two is, if you say this to Ishbosheth, I'm going to make David king now. You're basically saying, 
dysfunctional. Yeah, you have nothing to do about it. You are a goner. You just gave up. And he doesn't seem to, um, he doesn't care. And he doesn't, he's not afraid that Ishbosheth will get rid of him because he's too scared, right? I'm going to take the kingship from the house of Shaul. I will raise up the, the throne of David on Israel and Yehuda from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south. You are done, Ishboshi. You are so history. I'm going to go now with David. And he tells Ishboshi that straight up, which is quite amazing. And he couldn't answer Avner a word because he was so scared of him. Again, in Pasigil Aleph, you'll see, Mitzvah has to tell you, we're talking about Ishboshet. Ishboshet is such a non-entity, he's so insignificant, impotent, weakling, we don't even see his name here. He's so unimportant. The person of importance in this story is Avner, which is quite amazing. So, could be could be that Ishbosheth doesn't really believe that Amnon will go to the other side. It could be could be he's just threatening him because of the whole matter of the concubine. Notice that the Menei Binyamin get into trouble with the concubines. It's an interesting sort of thought. In any event, you have here a lot of lessons to learn. First of all, the Mishnah says, What did this Ishbosheth think? If he comes to Avner and accuses him of this sin, of this impropriety, did he think Avner would say, Oh, shucks, sorry about that? What did he think? You have to, you know, Ishbosheth proves here that he is lacking in wisdom, lacking in foresight. Second thing, Right, is we know that if you're a wise person, you watch what you say. Even if Ishbosha is completely enraged, if Ishbosha is justifiably angry and feels that it's not right what Avner did, understand your position. You are a puppet king. Avner was the power behind the throne. You cannot say anything now. You should keep this to yourself until a better time. Now, interestingly enough, the Ralbag over here says, who's in charge of all the plots, right, made sure that there would be a fallout between Avner and Ishboshet because we want Avner to help David become king. So the Rabbach is pointing out that you always have to remember that Akash Baruch runs the world, and this is the way sometimes it looks. Okay, moving right along. Pasuk, you'd bet. Avner begins right away to put into practice what he has said. Pasuk, you'd bet. Vayishlach Avner, Malachim el David tachtav leimor, lemi aretz leimor, karsavit chayiti vinei yadi imach, laseba lechet chayisrael. He puts it on the table, sends messages to David, saying, Lemi Aret, who should be in charge of this land? And the implication meaning, you, David, you're really the person who's in charge here. We see that David is more and more successful at war, that Ishbosheth's uh, numbers are dwindling, his power is non existent, 
And he says, make a deal. Let's make a deal. Avner says to David, I will put my hand together with you and I will to turn them around all of Israel. I'm going to give you the rest of the country. You're king of Yehuda. I'm going to give you everyone else. There's an interesting um, uh, medrash here on this word tachtav, right? <coughs> right? The letter that he sent said, Mimeni Avner Sartzava Israel and David Melch Israel Shalom. And the Chazal say, you should not have put your name before David. Tachtav. David's name was below Abner's. And for that alone, Abner is deserving of death. The Chazal, by the way, spent a lot of time trying to figure out what made Abner deserving of death. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But he, he sends out over to his messengers to David. I will make a wrist with you. I am your hands is with mine, and I will give you the rest of the country. Plus, if you get one, David answers like this. Well, Yomer, Tov, okay. And the Yechros and Chavis, I'm happy to make time with you. Don't come. Don't come near me. Don't show your face to me until you give me Michal, the daughter of Shaul. Now, it's very, very interesting how this works. First of all, um, David has a, has a plan in mind. He wants, in order to understand this whole parak, you have to understand that David's aim is to unify the country uh, in ways of peace. It's very, very painful to David that Yoab and Avner fought, that Avner killed Yoab's brother. This is not what he wanted to happen. He wants things to happen naturally. Now, if you look at the story of Michal, why does Shaul take Michal from David? Because Shaul is angry at David, and Shaul wants to um, get uh, make David illegitimate. So Shaul says, you're not really my son-in-law. She's not really a wife. And he gives her over to Palti ben Laish. We saw that this, at the end of chapter 25. In Shmuel Aleph, that Shaul gives Michal to Palti ben Laish. We're going to talk about this more in a minute. But David's, David wants to undo that damage and say, right, Shaul's sons are dead. Ishboshet is sort of like nobody. I'm the king's son in law. Therefore, I don't just have a claim to the throne for myself. I'm also a Beit Shaul. I'm the king's son in law. And in order to have that legitimacy, right, he wants to have his wife back. This has not been the right thing, what Shaul did. And he wants the kingdoms to sort of join together in peace. Now, Abner, okay, really has no choice here. He wants to join with David. This has to happen. Now, because... This is all very symbolic, right? The, the Malbim says, he has an interesting thing here. Um, uh, David thought at the beginning that he doesn't want to look like a rebel who's, who, who rebels against his master and kills all the family, right? But he takes the kingship from the, because of the Nabi, because of the correctness, because of the agreement of, of Israel, 
and he is a son-in-law of the king, and he has a right to be uh, the king. And now, if Abner comes to him, right, to bring him his wife, that will be with the permission of Ishboshet, who's her brother, right? And therefore, that's going to be good for the look of Abner coming as well. It's not going to be that Abner is a rebel. Abner is coming with the approval of Ishboshet. So in David's mind, this all works together. So now that he has, you know, basically told Abner what, what he needs next, he sends directly, this is more open communications to Ishboshet, Pasuk Yudalit. Now he talks about Michal as his wife, right? I legitimately um, became my husband with a hundred Philistine foreskins. Actually, he, he brought 200, but that was the deal with him and Shaul. That was his legitimate kedushin, and she's my wife, and I want her back. Now, again, Ishboshet is powerless. And Ishboshet uh, sent and took her from Paltiel, the son of Laish. Now, <coughs> and her husband, it says her man, went with her. Okay, and Palti follows her crying as he walks as far as Bahurim, which is near Arazasim, according to Dat Mikra. And then he says, Abner says, that's enough, go home. And he goes home. This sort of pathetic scene, um, we have a lot of questions on it in terms of halacha, in terms of this whole situation. And the question of Michal is a very complicated question. So I'm going to give you the short version because we don't have a lot of time for this. But basically, we spoke about this. We actually didn't speak about it when we did chapter 25. I think when we did chapter 26 or 27. But it's a complicated story. <coughs> so let's understand. The Chazal's understanding of this is that Shaul misled probably by Doeg makes the uh, assumption that David's kedushin to Michal is no longer, it was a mistake or it's no good, either because the original kedushin was problematic, and so it was uh, what they call mekaftas, they're not really married, or because, you know, Doe convinces him that David is a rebel and he is as good as dead, and so he can't be anyone's husband. That's the Chazal. Now, following that idea, right, that would mean that giving her to Palti was really a sin. She can't be with Palti because she's still married to David, and whatever Shaul did was wrong. And so the Chazal had this uh, whole thing that we talked about that Palti never had relations with Michal, and that he stuck a sword between them in the bed to make sure that he was not tempted. And Hazal add here, adding on the, uh, the text adds here, Paltiel ben Laish, they give God's name to him, although his name was Palti. And that really means 
Pilatus to save, God saved him. God saved him from the sin. And according to Hazal, he had more restraint than Yosef and Boaz, which had like a shorter duration, whereas Paltis Nisayon, his test, was a very long one. And um, I saw something very nice in Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov in the Emes Yaakov says that it's not kind of realistic to think that he actually put a sword in the bed because he's not allowed to have yichud with her. He's not allowed to have relations. He's not allowed to have yichud with her. And so Rabbi Yaakov said he always had another uh, person in the house. Another There was never yichud. And that was the, the sword is an allegorical thing. So according to this understanding of Chazal, Micha and Palti were never together, and so she's allowed to go back to Dutch. Now, Radak has a different situation. I'll just give you the short version. Radak says that um, Chol forced Dovid to give her a get, and because it was forced, it wasn't really a get, but Micha and Palti thought it was, but she was not forbidden to her husband because it was a ta'ut, it was a shkaga. The environmental has a whole different take. I did mention to you that um, that Palti was kind of like a, a caretaker, like a grandfather, and there wasn't that kind of relationship. And the question is, why does he cry when he when he leaves her? Apparently, he cries, according to the Chazal, because he's losing this tremendous mitzvah, this tremendous schar. And according to, to the other ideas, is that he has a tremendous amount of affection for her. But David gets Michal back, and with her, a certain amount of legitimacy for the for his kingship. Now we know, um, I should just make a point about Palti, that that whole scenario is the Ezehu Gibor HaKavashat Yitzro. The Torah's heroes are the ones who are able to restrain themselves. It's an important thing to think about. In any event, Amner says to the elders of Israel, yesterday, the day before, you always wanted David to be your king. This is nothing new. And we know that a king has to be two things. Somta simalechamela has to be someone you want. Asher yifcha Hashem has to be someone that Hashem wants. There's two components here. So Amner says, you guys, you really want David. Tomorrow is yesterday. She'll show him the day before. Together, it's previously, you want them to be your king. And now, let's do it. Because Hashem said to David, in the hand of David Avdi, in the hand of David, my servant, is the first time we hear David referred to that way. He will save my nation Israel from the Philistines and from all their enemies. David is going to do this. Originally, he had said that Shaul would do this, but Shaul wasn't successful, and now it's going to be David's job. Plus, he could say, He also goes to the people of Binyamin, Shaul's tribe. Everybody, he's talking David up. The Sartava of Yishboshe, totally turning everyone toward David. Plus, a clock. David, having gotten Michal back, having seen the effect of Abner's public relations campaign on his behalf, welcomes him and his 20 men, very symbolic, the 20 men, 
that have been lost to give own and to make a party. Let's come out. I'm going to get out. I'm going to go and get all of the Jews to come. We're going to make a covenant with you. You're going to be the king. And everyone's going to agree to it. And he went in peace. David sent him off on this mission. And he went in peace. Apparently, Yob is not there when this is going on, right? Could be that David didn't want him there, but he's off on some kind of mission. And they won some kind of battle. They're coming with a lot of loot. Yob is a very powerful figure as well. Again, Avner went in peace. And Yoav came back, and Avner's not there because he went in peace. Third time. You see three times that he went in peace. right? And I, I want to say here that these people run to tell Yoav. Now, I'm sure I'm sure that David Melech had his plans, how he's going to tell Yoab that Amner's on board, how he's going to explain to David what he wants Amner to do or to be. And he doesn't need all these, you know, wags to come and run to tell him. And this is a very important lesson. Lashon Hara, Rechilas, kills. You don't have to run and tell people things that are going to cause them pain. If David is in charge of this situation, David can handle it, and David will handle it his way. But it doesn't even say, they told Yoab, listen, Amner was here, and the king sent him off in peace. And now everybody knows that Amner killed Asael, Yoab and Abishai's brother. They know that Yoab hates him. And therefore, going to tell him that he was there with David and sent off in peace is a terrible sin. One has to be very, very careful with what they say. And Yoav is enraged. How do you talk to the king like this, even if he's your uncle? What did you do? Abner came here. How did you let him go? He went off to this is not He went off. He went off to him. Right? What are you doing? Now, Yoav has no right to talk to David like this. This is actually outrageous and chutzpah. But he's enraged. You let him go. What are you thinking? Right? You know that this is all a ruse. He's just trying to trick you. Just wants to know what you're up to. He's spying. How could you believe him? And this is his proof. He went off. He's going to go back to Ishboshet. You think he'd go back to Ishboshet after coming to you truthfully? That means Ishboshet knows about it. The whole thing is a plot and you fell for it. Right? And it's very interesting. David does not answer. Now, we do have a principle, right? You do not answer someone in the hour of their anger. 
And so it could be that Dove is waiting for Yoa to calm down. <coughs> but he's also, we have a parallel situation here in a certain way that Ishboshet is really controlled by Abner. And in a certain sense, David can't really move without Yoav either. It's possible, and very likely, I think, that Yoav is jealous and thinks that David might want to put Abner in his position as Sar Tzavah. So there's a lot of things going on in Yoav right now. But D David doesn't say anything. And perhaps Yoav says, you know, maybe thinks that David is going to be uh, okay with this. We are told straight out, David didn't know about this. Yoav sends messages from David. In other words, his point is that Amner should think it's coming from David after Amner. And they returned him from Borhesiral to second, and David doesn't know. So he makes it seem, Abner, like David wants him back. And he calls him back as if it's from David. And David doesn't know this. Now, this Borhesiral, we don't know where that is. And the Medrash says, um, let's see. The Medrash says that this is because um, it was really a place it was really not a place, but it was, where is this? Here, the Gemara says, they brought him back from Borisi. What is the name of Borisiva? Right? Rabbi Abba Bar Kahana says, Borisiva, Borisiva, Garmulol Abner Shereg. These two places, these two things caused Abner's death. Why? Bor is a pit. Or a well, and um, Sirah is a thorn. So, Bar Sirah is symbolic of the fact that Amner prevented Shaul from making peace with David. How? In Perak Chaf Dalid, Shmuel Aleph, David follows Shaul into a cave. I mean, Shaul comes into the cave, and David cuts off his cloak. And he says, look, I, I could have killed you. I cut off your cloak. And Amir says, nah, you just ripped your cloak on a thorn. And then in Perak Havav, Shmuel Aleph, when David comes into the camp and takes his spear and his jug, he says, somebody else took your water jug. That's the, that's the bore, the water. So in both cases where David is coming to Shaul and saying, look, I could have killed you and I didn't. And Shaul is so emotional about this. You hear what Shaul says, is that you, my son, David? You're doing good and I'm not. And Abner talks Shaul out of making peace with David. And that's why David complains about Abner to Hillam. Um, Was it right that you did Abner? So Abner has really been a thorn in David's side. And because he prevented David from making peace with Shaul, that's one reason of Hazal say that he's killed. The other reason is that he prevented David from being king by putting up Ishbosheth. Right. So we 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 see that there's something going on here 
in Avner as well. Pasuk of Zion. Vayashav Avner Hebron. He comes back. Vayateu yod hiltoch hashar ledaviri toba sheli. Vayakeu shon hachomesh vayamat bedam asaela. So, when Amner comes back, Yoav takes him aside to the gate of the city as if to speak to him secretly, and he strikes him there in the homage of the fifth rib, and he dies in the, because of the blood of Asael, his brother. Now, here you see clearly the text is telling us, the Navi is telling us, none of this stuff about Amner being a spy, none of this stuff, he's like a double agent. Uh, Yoav kills him because he killed his brother. And this this whole discussion is also, I don't know if it's on this page. Um, Yoab judged Avner according to Allah Sanhedrin, right? And Yoab said, why did you kill Asael? And he said, Asael was pursuing me. He was a rodef. And Avner says, but you could have maimed him. And he said, I couldn't maim him. I was, he was running. I was not able. And Yoab says, listen, if you could aim to that, that damaging rib where it's a fatal blow, you could also have aimed a non-fatal blow. In other words, Yoab does not accept that Avner had to kill Asael, and so he kills him. And Wait a second, Basheli, let me explain that Basheli is a, um, by mistake, like it, it was a trick because he, he thought that he was, <coughs> he thought he forgot something. I and my kingship are not guilty of the death of Abner ben Meir. An absolutely horrific curse. He curses Yoav, his own nephew, that his in his family there should be people who are uh, with with horrible emissions that are mitzora, uh, uh, have leprosy, holding onto a staff, cripples, dying by the sword, and missing bread. And by the way, these things happen to Davids. These this curse. It says in Mishle. Right, just as a bird flies back, the um, a curse for nothing will come back to him. Now it's very interesting, possibly in general. It's, I don't know if it's a kilat chinam because you know Yoav deserved some kind of punishment. It's terrible, <coughs> but it does say that if you shouldn't curse people because it'll boomerang back on you. And each one of these things came true. Um, Rechavim was a Zav. Uziyahu was Mitzorah. Asav was Machzik Bepelech. Um, Yoshiyahu was Nofer Bechara. Pasalech was Echonia. All of David's children had these things. Pasuk Lavan. V'yoba v'yishle achim hargulam ne'al asher. Mitzitz asayl achim begivam b'melchama. And Avishai is complicit as well. And it's because he killed Asael. Period. Don't give us any spy stuff. Now, David is faced with an impossible dis- situation because he has to be naki. It's a right You have to prove that you're innocent. And how does he do that? It's a terrible crossroads <coughs> because it looks like he is 
doing this bloody thing. And he doesn't want it to be like that. He wants his kingship to be in peace, coming together in peace. And he wants to prove to the people that this was not from him. So what does he do? Lamed David says to Yoav and all the people, whip your clothing, wear sackcloth, mourn before Abner. And David walks after the beer. Now, you, the king is not supposed to do that. There's a whole discussion, so we don't have time for it. The king is not supposed to walk after Mace in Levaya. And they say, but a king can if he wants to, because David did. But then there's a whole discussion in the Mara. You know, David did it to prove a point. But he also makes Yoav do it. I want everyone in sackcloth. I want everyone mourning. And they buried Abner in Hebron, and David raised his voice, and he cried, and everybody cried. And I think it's important to understand that even though Abner was so hard on David, and Amner was in a certain sense his enemy, don't rejoice when your enemy falls, right? Not talking about the you know evil people or or people who are trying to kill you. But he is a political enemy. And David sees the greatness in him. And that's one of the things about David. David only wants peace. He sees the greatness in someone who is his political rival, and he's able to say, This is terrible. And everyone cries. And now he has a lament, as he did in Perak Aleph for Shaul and Yonatan. But there it's Vayikon named David. There it's David the person mourning people that he loved, especially Yehonatan. But here it's the king. This is in his position as a king. Like an evil person, like a Russia, like a Naval. It's not right. Your hands were tied up. It wasn't like you were chained. Can fall of falta. It's you could you're you're a war hero. You weren't you didn't die in a battle. You didn't die as a captive. You could have fought back, but you just fell prey. To B'nai Avla, to bad people. And everyone kept crying over him. This is really a tragedy. And I think Doug feels the tragedy because Avner was going to pull everybody together, the Beit Sha'ul, the Beit David. He would make it all work. And now David is going to have to prove that he's not an enemy, that he's not after them. It's going to cause more division. And what we need in our nation, that we see that so much today, we just need unity. We don't need division. This has been terrible. And David wants everyone to see he's not, he's, he cannot afford this. He's very much against it. This is the expression he used after a Leviah to give food to the mourner. They came to bring him bread while it was still daylight. David swore, until sundown. David refuses to be fed. And it's interesting, just as a contrast, David, he only swears on himself not to eat. And he keeps the swear. He keeps the vow. Unfortunately, 
Shaul made the vow on everyone who wasn't able to be kept. And the whole nation saw it. It was good in their eyes. Everything he did was good in their eyes. And it's very interesting because you can dash it on that as well that everything he did was right in their eyes. The people looking at David with tremendous approval. This is what Amir says to the elders before. You know you want David. Everybody wants David. What David does is good. David is very beloved. And they see this. They see. And the Malmim says this. I think it's the Malmim. Um, uh, here, Pasuk Lam Zayim. Ayedu kolam kolisya bayom ahuki loet zamem elamiz zayim They knew. Right? How did they know? I'm not finding it, but they, the Malbim says, it's in the Malbim. The Malbim says, people see the truth. David's sorrow is genuine. He's sad over the death of Abner, even though Abner was very hard on him. He says, this is terrible. He knows that politically it's a mess and he's going to have to deal with it. And the people see that he's sincere. And they all saw. They understood with a real deep understanding that it wasn't David's intention to kill Abner Ben-Nir. The last two psukim, it's David's speaking privately. <coughs> Excuse me. It sounds like he's speaking to his own household. This is not for the public anymore. Even though there's nobody else around except his servants, he says, just no. We lost a great, great officer. We lost a great man today. And he makes his admission. I'm too soft. I'm too young. And just recently anointed king. The contrast of the soft and the hard. I, I, I can't deal with these men. And these are his own nephews. They are too hard for me. They're too difficult. I cannot deal with them. Let Hashem punish them. I can't. I'm not in a position, David admits it to his people. I'm really sorry that this happened. We lost a great person today. And I can't do anything about it. I, I need these people. Perhaps if Abner had been alive, he could have gotten rid of Yoav as a Sarchavah. But now there's no one of Yoav's stature to take his place. And so he's just stuck. There's nothing I can do with these people. And God will have to take care of it. So we see again David's uh, ability to look, to have respect for someone, even who's an opponent, to have respect for Avner and to really feel that loss. Very big tragedy in this in this parak. Can I stop the screen share? I'm sorry, I know I went very, very fast, very long parak, almost 40 psukim. <laughs> All right, if anyone wants to unmute and uh, any questions, thoughts. Hi, Ruthie. Yeah. 
No comments? It's like, oh, a lot of action, a lot of drama. A lot of chaval. Chaval. You know, and David is so hard on Yoav. Like, you know, it, you know, Yoav is, is a tough character, but look, you know, there is that anger. He killed his brother. And, you know, Avner could say, well, it was a time of war. And I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't. He was chasing me. I couldn't really aim. But then Yoav is also right. You're, you're a great warrior. You're a great man of war. You're if you if you could kill him so precisely with one blow, you could have, you know, wounded him and not killed him. So um, it's just all around very sad. And I think that Yoav here also has self-interest because he knows that Avner is a tremendous rival. If now Avner comes over to David's camp, it's going to be, you know, he's going to have to deal with that. Maybe, you know, Abner getting a better position or taking his position or something like that. So. All righty then. <clears throat> Thank you. I'm so out of it. I mean, you should hear good things. Okay, Lila, so going to get off because... My voice is gone. <laughs> Gotta rest up a little. Lila, so bye bye.